Hey, good morning, everybody. Nice to see you guys again. If I don't know you, I'm, I'm Dave Oyadamari. I'm on the uh, teaching team here at Kakaka Christian Fellowship. Good, good morning. And um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, we're in week two of the Daniel plan. And um, I think Mark was telling us this morning there's like 40 groups, if I recall that correctly, doing the Daniel plan, which is awesome to hear. And if you haven't joined a group yet, there's still plenty of time, and you're wondering, what is a group? There's a table out there. You can ask them, or just come and see me afterwards. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about the importance of those groups um, for your, your whole life. Um, and the Daniel plan is, and I was saying, what, how do you explain this to someone? Like, what, what is this thing? Is it a series? Um, what is the Daniel plan? And technically, as I was reading the, sort of the Rick Warren book about it, it's technically a lifestyle program, right? So it's, it's supposed to change your lifestyle um, based on biblical principles, okay? So um, this is something that, you know, I don't want to get too far into it, but I was trying to figure out, like, what was the impetus? You know, why did Rick Warren and the Saddleback guys create this program? Um, but you know, I don't want to get too far into it, but it's pretty intriguing to me. And I'm really um, hoping and I'm going to be praying that it's going to impact each of you individually in your lives. Um, and today, what we're going to be doing in week two is we're going to be um, looking at the Bibles in Romans 12. And so if you want to start turning there now, um, pretty much this entire message is coming out of Romans 12. Uh, and what we're going to be doing is really unpacking six biblical principles uh, in Romans 12. And I think the, this is supposed to be those six things. If you look in your um, insert, there's those six fill-in-the-blanks. Um, you can take it with you, but this is supposed to be an accompaniment to the Daniel plan and the small groups that you guys are going through today uh, in, in your groups. And really what this week is about is the Daniel plan, it starts with the physical. Okay, so there's all kinds of stuff. There's the spiritual, there's the mental. But the point that um, we're making in this program, this portion, is it starts physically. And it reminded me that every night I pray for, you know, we pray for Joshua. That's my eight-year-old son. And one of the prayers we always pray for him every night is that, you know, we say, Lord, would you please grow Josh physically, mentally, emotionally, and, and spiritually? And, but the first one we always start with is physically. We want to grow Josh physically. And the, and the reason is, is that a lot of what impacts us mentally and spiritually even starts with the physical, Right? And I think, you know, it's easy for us to know and, re- and think of ourselves like, yeah, well, the mind can affect the body, but how does the body affect the mind? And it also reminded me, when Josh was in second grade, um, one of the teachers did an experiment. And in fact, they continue it to, to this day. I was talking to Josh about it this morning. But what they did, in the, what they did with Josh and his classmates is they would... Um, they would have him go run around the playground for the first like 15 to 20 minutes before the classroom instruction even started. And what they found is that the kids were more attentive. <laughs> you know? So Josh was in a classroom of, I think, 24 kids. I want to say like 18 of them were boys. <laughs> and so um, the poor teacher. But I think it was just uh, something where they had read in, in studies that the physical part affects the, the mental and so what they would do is they would have the kids go run around the baseball diamond. They would go run around the, the basketball courts for a you know, good 15, 20 minutes. And then they'd come back into the classroom. 
probably a little tired, a little sweaty, but then the teachers found that the kids were so much more focused and well-behaved, right? And that was like an example to me. I said, yeah, well, that kind of makes sense, especially for boys, I think, because they're more physical, right? But, you know, I, I, what it would remind me of is how much the body and the mind are kind of interconnected. And I think about, like, for this message, you know, we're in nice chairs and we're sitting upright, but what if, what if everyone was just, like, lying down in beanbags, you know? How much of the message do you think you'd really hear if you guys were just, like, cruising on beanbags, you know? And I actually think that you would probably agree with me that, yeah, not, not a lot, you know? In fact, we'd probably hear somebody snoring over there in the back, like Neil. But anyway, um, <coughs> uh, did I say that out loud? Um, but if you turn to Romans chapter 12, you know, this, this is what it says. And, and we'll start here and we'll kind of unpack the six principles, okay? Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And if you were to underline or circle that part, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, to me, that's the operative word in, in this part of the, of the passage. And it's, it really kind of stands out because what the first principle is, I think here, is the principle of dedication. Dedication. It, it's, it's about dedicating your body to Christ. It's, it's about offering your bodies as a living sacrifice. And so what does that mean, right? You know, in, in the Old Testament, sort of the Old Testament biblical times, when they made living sacrifices, so this would be like a living animal, right, sacrifice. What they sacrificed wasn't like the sheep with the broken leg. You know, they didn't sacrifice... The, the, the animal in their flock that was like the sickest, the weakest, they took the best and they offered it to God, right? They, they, this, was, this, was sort of they, this is how they honored God with their, their finest, their best. So they would look in their flock and they would take the finest and the best animal to sacrifice and that's what they would give to God. It's not like they gave God, they said, oh, you know what, that one's not gonna make it this week. Let's put that as a sacrifice. No, they gave, it, they gave God the best. And so when it says to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, I think that the translation for me is, you know, we got to give God our best. So it's like, you know, like think about how you treat your body, you know, on a regular basis. And like, if, was that a good sacrifice to God, you know? Like, oh yeah, sorry, God, here's my Dorito-ridden body, you know? Or, or here, here's, here's the body that, yeah, yeah, you know, I, you know I, I've been meaning to cut down some of that cigarette stuff and, you know, or I, you know, I just, I just ate too much last night at the buffet, you know? Is that our best for God? And if our bodies are supposed to be that living sacrifice to the Lord, shouldn't we give God our best? That's what this is saying to me. And that's how we worship the Lord. We dedicate our bodies to God. So what are some specific things we can do to fulfill this principle, right? Uh, giving our bodies as an act of worship to the Lord. And the first thing is, I think we can cleanse it. We can cleanse our bodies. We can, you know, detox, right? And if you, if you look in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1, it says this, Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. It says, purify ourselves from all the contaminants, the body and the spirit, right? So 
Stop putting like those toxins and those poisons in your body today. Think about what you're eating, what you're drinking, what you're ingesting in your body. That's what I think that's saying. We've got to cleanse our body. See, what would happen if you thought about it this way, that your body is not really your own, but your body really belongs to God? And if your body belongs to God, then who are you? You're just like the manager. You're supposed to take care of God's body here on earth, right? And if that is your responsibility, how would you treat yourself differently? How would you eat differently? Sorry, I'm getting over a cold, so I apologize, but... (coughs) The second thing we can do to dedicate our bodies to Christ, not only cleanse it, but I think we can care for it. Seems simple, right? But if you don't own your body, then you're the caretaker of the body that you reside in. And so if you go to look in Ephesians 5, 29, (coughs) excuse me, it says, after all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. It's an, it's an awesome responsibility, right, where Christ treats the church <clears throat> in the same way we're supposed to treat our own body, right? That we're supposed to be the caretaker of what God has given us, right? So if we think of ourselves like, oh man, I'm a little overweight, or I'm just not eating healthy, or I'm not sleeping well, right? Are you being a good caretaker of what God has given you? Are you being a good steward of your body? So we're going to care for it. And the third thing that was a practical way I think we can dedicate our bodies to the Lord is we can control it. We can control it. So in 1 Thessalonians 4, chapter 4, verses 4 to 5, it says this, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans, who do not know God, right? Are you in control of your body or is your body in control of you? Are you in control of your own urges or are your urges controlling what you do? It's not okay to say like, oh, I couldn't help myself, right? I couldn't help myself. It just, you know, that, that, that pie just looks so good, right? I couldn't help it. So, you know, I had to go for thirds, Right? It's not okay. We got to control it. That's what the Bible says. And if you continue on in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 26 to 27, it says, Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave. I make my body my slave. I control my body. I control my own urges. You know, there's a, there's a stat out there that there's $2.5 trillion every year spent on healthcare. And what the experts are saying is that 75% of that $2.5 trillion is preventable by lifestyle choices we make today. 75% of all the, the chronic diseases and the, and the money we spend on healthcare is just purely from the choices we make today. And one of the things it reminded me of when I was reading that, the Rick Warren, his, the beginning of his book, you know, he was saying like, you know, we have as much a problem as there are about, you know, people in the world starving for not having enough to eat. We have as much a problem, especially here in the U.S., of, of 
eating too much or, or kind of going overboard and not controlling how we're taking care of ourselves. So the first principle is the principle of dedication. It's dedication. And the second principle in your notes is the principle of concentration. Concentration. And this comes out if you continue on in verse 2 in Romans 12. It says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the operative words there are do not conform and then renewing of your mind. So the, this is like a compare and contrast moment, right? So the pattern of the world are things like you start thinking of the things that are bad for me, my, my plan, and what feels right for me. But the renewing of your mind is things like, instead of thinking of the things that are bad for me, I think about the things that are good for me. Instead of my plan, I start shifting to God's plan. Instead of thinking about what just feels right, it, you translate it to what God says is right. Instead of what everyone else says I should do, it's what God says I should do. It's, it's shifting, right, from the negative to the positive. So do not conform, you know, really to me means, hey, hey stop copying everybody else. You know, when you think about, um, like, something like smoking, which is tough, right, for a lot of people to stop, I think that when you first start it, though, you know, it's, it's not because I think it smells good or it tastes good, but I think it's because somebody copied somebody else. That's like the conforming part of it, right? But there's only one perfect model we know, and that's Jesus. And so to transform then, and, and I think we've talked about this before, comes from that Greek word metamorphosis, right? Is It's not this incremental improvement. It's not like just being, you know, a little bit different, but it's being radically different. It's renewing your mind. It's, it's about making something new. It's not covering up the old with something new, but, but completely changing and radically different, something that's radically different, radically new. And that's what I think it means in this second verse about do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be renewed uh, by, the, by, by be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So that's the second principle, is the principle of concentration. The third principle is a principle of evaluation. Okay? And this one can be a little bit tough because in, in the business world, I call this baselining, okay? So whenever we embark on this improvement project at work or whatever, the first question I ask my team is I go, what's our baseline, okay? And the translation is, where are we today? Because if we're going to plan to improve ourselves next year, two years from now, don't we think we got to know how much we improved over where we are today? So we got a first baseline, and we got to see where are we today, just as a starting point. And that's what I mean by evaluation. But when you evaluate something, it, you got to do two things. You got to have integrity, and you got to have humility, right? Because it's so easy to sort of gloss over the stuff that's bad today and be like, ah. You know, maybe you're being extra polite and you're like, eh, it's okay, it's not that bad, right? Or, and you've got to have humility because you're like too proud to admit the things that are wrong in what's going on today, right? You've got to take an honest assessment of where you are today and you've got to have the humility to acknowledge the faults and the areas in your life that need to change. 
And that's where I think a lot of people stumble is right there, is they lack that, that honest look at themselves and that humility to say, yeah, I, I can get better at that. And then we get stuck. So if you go into verse 3, that's where this comes out of in, in Romans 12, right? Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Okay? So it's like, be humble, right? Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. Rather, think of yourself with sober judgment. And sober judgment translation to me is, be honest. Be honest. Be humble and be honest, right? What problems do you have in your marriage? What problems do you have in your finances? What problems do you have in your health, in your, in your lifestyle? Be honest with yourself. See, it's about having that humility, that integrity, and then ultimately the courage to face the things that we got to change in our lives. None of us are perfect, okay? We know that. Everybody knows this. But can you have the courage to ask maybe the person closest to you, your, your friend, maybe it's your spouse, and this is, this is dangerous, right? Can you imagine like going to your spouse and saying, what do I have to work on, <laughs> right? I'm like, I'm gonna go, do I have the courage to go to Tammy, right, my wife, and go, Tam, you know, I'm not, I know I'm not the greatest husband and all, but what's an area I got to work on in my life? Spooky. What is she going to say, right? It's hard. But I think that's what it means to come with humility and with just that open, honest conversation. I mean, if you can't even ask the person closest to you, who can you ask, really? So putting the principle to evaluation into practice, as we think about the Daniel plan, right, about the physical, just start with simple things like, okay, what do I weigh today? Right? What's my height? What's my weight? Uh, what's my waist? You know, what's my blood pressure? These are like the basic, basic things. This is what is called baselining. And then we've got to set goals, okay? So I don't know if you guys have noticed. I, care, I, I wear this thing around my wrist now. It's, the, it's a Fitbit, yeah? And um, I've been wearing it, I don't know, about a month, I guess. But I love this thing because it started with a baseline, yeah? So the, in, with the Fitbit, what it does is it tracks how many steps I take every day. It, one of the best things it does for me is it, it tracks how many hours a night I sleep, and it shows me uh, how, much, how many hours of good sleep I had every night. And uh, I was surprised that the first time I put it on and I tracked my sleep, I was getting like five hours a night. And I was like, five hours, that's it? You know? And, and when I went on this trip on the, to the mainland, and, it, and if I could show you, I mean, what it does is it shows like the hours that you have that are like good sleep, <clears throat> And it will show you the hours that you have that are really like kind of bad sleep. And it tracks it. And blue is all the good sleep, like this, is actually a good night when it's pretty much all blue, right? But when I went on my trip, when you have a really bad night, it starts to look like this. So all the light blue is like when you're restless and all the red is when you're awake. And I looked at this on my trip and I was getting an hour, hour and a half of sleep a night. Like here's one, here's one, <laughs> you know? It's crazy. I mean, it used to be all blue when I'm at home and then I'm on my trip in the hotel room and this is what I look like when I sleep. And what it did for me is from a baseline evaluation perspective, it told me, 
man, I must have a lot on my mind. I'm not at home. It's not my bed. I'm restless. And I got to do better. And it's the starting point for you physically to then say, you know what? I got I to gotta, I gotta go sleep earlier. I, I got to kind of wind down, you know, read, you know, just really take care of my body. You know, I come back from my trip and I'm sick, you know. There was eight of us that went on this trip. Seven of us came home sick, you know. But the, the point is, is that we have to take seriously the principle of evaluation. We've got to honestly and, and, and we've got to just look at ourselves with humility and say, how are we taking care of our bodies? Are we sleeping enough? Are we eating well? Right? And that's the principle that's coming right out of Romans chapter 12, verse 3 there. The fourth principle is the principle of cooperation. It's it's being part of a community, right? Getting group support. See, the way God designed us is he designed us to need each other. I believe this to be true. He didn't design us to, to be like human islands, right? In fact, Rick Warren was saying that in the New Testament, the phrase one another is mentioned 58 times. 58 times. Love one another, care for one another, encourage one another, support one another, pray for one another, and so on. It's so deliberate what God is saying is one another. We're not designed to go through life alone. And I'm not just talking about marriage and, and you know, significant other stuff. I'm just talking about your life in general. We're designed to be in community with others. That's how God designed us. That's how God hardwired us is to be part of a community. So you might know people, I think all of, you, all of us do, who say like, yeah, I don't think I need to go to church, Dave, right? I don't, need, I don't think I need to go to church. I, I read the Bible every once in a while, and um, I pray. I have a personal relationship with the Lord. I'm good, man, right? I don't need to go to that church thing on Sunday. And, and you know, I'm, I'm happy for them that they have a personal relationship with the Lord. And I had a sister who said the exact same thing to me. She'd say, yeah, yeah, I'm good. You know, I, I, I read when I can, you know, Dave, and I pray, but I don't need to go to the church, you know, thing. You know, it kind of makes me feel weird or I got to dress up or, you know, people seem to be happy. I don't know they're not happy. You know, all these reasons, you know, all these reasons. I think you know people like that, right? Right? But I think it's, it's not optional. What God is saying to us, it's super important to be in community and be part of a body in Christ. That's, that's a, it's a fundamental principle that sometimes we get confused, right? We think church, maybe sometimes you come to get your, your weekly dose of God, right? I go there, and what's the main point of Sunday is I go and I listen to that lecture, right? And that's it, and then I go home and pow, right? And that, it kind of fires me up for the week, and I come back again. No, no. I really truly think that what the Bible tells us, what God's telling us is he designed us to be in community, to be in fellowship with people, right? That's why we put so much emphasis on these small groups, right? That it's not just come Sunday, which is great because you're in community on Sunday, but also to be in community with a smaller group of people who can encourage you. Because why? Because life happens. Because Junk, bad stuff happens in life. And when it does, it's those small groups and those relationships that you have with people that are going to carry you through. They're going to encourage you when things just get rough. Guaranteed. 
I would tell you if, you, if you talk to people who've been Christians for a lot of years, they will tell you that is the single thing that's helped them, is that they connected with other people, that when things were bad and someone in their small group goes, hey, you okay or what? And then, and then you can pray, and then people just pray for you, and people encourage you. In, in going on in Romans chapter 12, verses four to five, it says this. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same functions, so in Christ, we though many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. And if you were to circle or underline the operative phrase to me is, belongs to all the others. God says that we belong to each other. We need each other. We're not an island, right? It's, it's super clear to me that when you look at, you might be someone that's kind of interested in different religions or like, oh, what are the differences in all the religions? If you look at what Jesus says and in Christianity, what it says is you got to belong in a group. It's really not an option. That's how you're hardwired. That's how God designed us. He's the creator. That's how we are. And in this Daniel plan, right? When you're honest and you're humble about areas in your life that you need to change, it's going to be difficult, guaranteed. There's going to be times you're like, oh man, I, 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 you know, I, I couldn't help it. I did this, right? But it's the people in your group, the small group that you're, join, that you're joining, that they're going to encourage you. They're going to make sure that the stuff that we do in the Daniel plan will, will happen faster and will be longer lasting if not permanent. And that happens because you're going to be in a community of people where this is the emphasis. That's what it's about. That's what this principle is about. Cooperation or community, right? Principle five is the principle of affirmation. And this is filling your life with love. See, chances are you've, you've attended a wedding, right? Where you've, also, you've, you've heard the officiant quote something from the Bible that, that Sounds like this, okay? <clears throat> love is patient. Love is kind, right? It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Truth, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, right? We've heard this. 1 Corinthians 13, right? And in every marriage ceremony that I've performed, I read this passage. And I read this passage because in every wedding ceremony where there's the husband and wife and they're looking into each other's eyes and they're excited, my greatest prayer and wish for them is that that union is eternal. And if, they're gonna, if, they're, if that union is going to be eternal, they've got to tap into something eternal, a power that is greater than they have with just themselves. And that power we know is God. And the, the, the best way we can see God is love. And what Paul talks about love here and all the characteristics of love is God. And so for people who are getting married and for my wish for them, for this eternal union that they're creating is for them and their marriage to reflect the Lord. And so when we look at this and we say, what kind of, like characteristics that we want for their life, it's that. 
It's that love in their life. It's, it's this power that is the most powerful power in the universe, right? It's the power that can mend things that are broken. It's the power that can forgive the seemingly unforgivable. It's the power to energize and inspire someone when they're completely lifeless and they just are depressed. It's the power that only comes from God. And that's what makes love the most powerful force in the world, in the universe. And we must fill our life with as much of this power as possible. More love, more power, and that's really as basic as it is. And so if you read on in verses 9 and 10 now of Romans 12, it, it talks about this, but you realize how challenging it is to implement this true love, right? Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. And again, the operative phrase for me there for today is honor one another above yourselves. See, when, when someone in your small group that you've joined, and hopefully I've convinced you should join one by now, has a small win in their lives, it could be health, finances, you know, some way they set, they set a goal, we've got to celebrate it. We've got to be like, you know, hey, I lost two pounds this week. All right. Yeah. You know? Or, hey, you know what? I decided I'm going to pay a little bit more than the minimum balance of my credit card bill this month. Yes. Awesome. Right? Hey, and uh, we, we had a breakthrough in our marriage this week. Really? Yeah. Awesome. Great. Right? That's showing genuine affirmation and love for each other. It's honoring each other above ourselves. That's what God is telling us here and the principle of affirmation. And the amazing thing, you guys, too, the amazing thing is when you help other people, when you're other-focused and honoring people above yourself, just as the Bible says, guess what happens? God blesses you, too. God blesses you too. And how do I know this? The Bible illustrates this over and over again, right? As well as my own life, it demonstrates it over and over again. But think about Solomon. You guys remember Solomon, right? In 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 5 through 10, God asked Solomon, what is it that you want from me, Solomon? And what does Solomon, how does he respond? God, just, just give me wisdom for what? Not for his own, like, so I can be the smartest guy in the world. But he says, give me wisdom. Why? So I can govern your people. It was for others. And the Bible says, God was so pleased with Solomon's answer, he not only gave him wisdom, but he gave him wealth and honor. God blessed Solomon, but he put others ahead of him. The other example I think about is I think about Job. And in Job, if you read in Job 41.10, the Bible show, tells us that Job prayed for his friends. You might remember his friends were like all like pounding on him, right? Job prays for his friends. And then what does God do for Job? It says he blessed Job twice as much of everything he had before. So the, the principle is, and the point is, when I look at the Bible, yeah, we're called to honor and think of others and help others. Then guess what God does? He blesses you too. 
He blesses you too. So being in a small group is so important, you guys, because you're, God's going to use you, I guarantee you, to pray for someone in that group, to encourage someone in that group. See, I'll tell you a good personal example for me. Um, I don't know. I don't know if this, this resonates, but I'm an introvert by nature. Okay? He goes, what? No way. I say, no, I'm an introvert by nature. Meaning, okay, I don't like to socialize. I, it doesn't come easy to me to socialize with people. Okay? Um, I'm one of those guys I'd rather just kind of keep to myself. Okay? But in my line of work, sometimes I got to go out to like a dinner function or some customer event where I, I got to get out there. I got to get out and I got to go meet people and I got to socialize, okay? It, this is how you know you're an introvert. If at the end of the night you're exhausted, <laughs> you're probably an introvert, okay? The extrovert people, is like it, it gives them energy like, oh yeah, I got to meet all these people. I'm more like, oh really, you know? That's how I am, okay? So I don't know if you guys can resonate with that. That's, that's who I am, okay? So it takes a lot of effort for me to socialize. But this is what I do. Um, I, I, if I think about myself like, oh no, another one of these like three, four hour evenings where I'm going to have to like, you're all happy with everybody and everything. But I don't feel like it in here. This is what I do. I just say, you know what, Lord? Use me to, to make someone else's evening good, right? Like, help me be other focused. Like, never mind me, but how can I, like, um, make someone else laugh or, you know, make, make, just make them feel better about this evening and be other focused? And that's what gets me through the night, quite frankly, is I go, like, God, just use me somehow to, like, you know, find somebody who might be just as introverted as I am, you know, but maybe I can strike a conversation and make them laugh or make them have a good time, you know, just connect with them as a human being, right? And that's what gets me through the evening. And you know what happens? At the end of the evening, I realize, you know, that was so bad. I kind of had fun tonight, right? But it started because I was other-focused. And it, it was just about not me, but it was about, like, others. And how can I help others? And it's hard for me, okay? I just tell you guys, it's hard. But it's about giving back. Give of yourself is a form, I believe, of, of tapping into this power of love that God talks about. Now, the sixth, the sixth principle is the principle of motivation. And what we're talking about here is how do you nurture enthusiasm, right? Because it's hard. It, it's always good at the beginning of something. You're all enthusiastic. Daniel planned, yeah, we're going to eat good. We're going to be you know, good uh, stewards of our bodies. And then we're going to pray. And you know, spiritually, we're going to get good. But then what happens over time? You're like, oh. Really, I'm tired of eating almond meal again. You know what I mean? It's going to happen, right? It's going to happen. So how do you nurture that enthusiasm, right? So that it, it, it's, it's for a lifetime. And I was, as I was preparing for this, you know, like Rick Warren talks about the word enthusiasm comes from the, the Greek word, you know, entheos, right? And the Greek word for the English word, it, it's for the N is the Greek word for the English word in, and theos is the Greek word for God. So it's in God, right? In God. Just like theology is the word for the study of God, right? Theos is the word for God. Theology, theos. So how do we maintain enthusiasm and motivation when we have zero to almost nothing left in the tank 
It's in God. And this is in Romans 12 again, verses 11 through 12. Okay. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Right? Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor equals, in my mind, like enthusiasm. Right? Have enthusiasm serving the Lord. And then how is right there. Three things. How we keep our enthusiasm. Right? The first one, be joyful in hope. No matter what happens, we know God wins in the end. When you look at the world today and you see like, what is going on, right? I do that. The way you have hope in spite of all the stuff you hear about what's going on in the world, whether it's nationally, internationally, in your own life, in your workplace, you remember God wins in the end. And that God's plan is good. And that's what you have hope in. Because you know already. So as, as bummer as it gets, have joy in the hope that God wins in the end. That's the first thing. The second thing is patient in affliction. Be patient in affliction. Why does, why does God have to tell us this? Is Because bad stuff happens in life to all of us. And even in pain, God can bring good out of that pain. And we can be patient even in pain. That's the reminder here. Is that in affliction, in pain, in, in stuff that happens in life, which happens to all of us, really, be patient. Because God can still make that good. And the third thing here, right, to maintain your enthusiasm, is be faithful in prayer. Because you have a choice to make. When you've got a gnarly problem that you're facing in life, you have a choice. You can panic. You can start to worry yourself. You can crawl up into a ball and be like, no more, I can't handle already. Or you can just drop to your knees and you can pray. And in faithfulness, you just say, Lord, I, I just got to give this to you. That, I think, is what is being said here about how to maintain our enthusiasm. We, we have joy in the hope of God controls everything and he's already won in the end. We can be patient in whatever pain and suffering we're going through and we just gotta be faithful in prayer the closer we get. Someone had um, emailed me about a month ago and, and some of you may know my story is that several years ago I had lost my job. I was told, okay, this is your last day. And I was like, what? Right? And usually, usually, when that happens to people, it comes with a letter that says, and here's your severance package. Sometimes it's generous. Right? Sometimes it's not as generous, but you get something, like a couple weeks, or sometimes some people it's months. Here is Dave's severance package. Zero. The day I was told I was out of a job was the day of my last paycheck and had nothing left. There wasn't even a severance package. There wasn't even a thank you for your hard work. It was just done. At that, and now, where was I in that moment? We had just moved into a new house. I had a mortgage for the first time. I had a two-year-old baby. 
that was what was happening to me at that moment. And I could have chosen to be like, panic, worry, like, what am I going to do? Oh, no, right? I got to go out there and I got to go, you know, find a new job right away. But the amazing thing was, in that moment, I said, you know what? Same thing. Okay, God, you're in control. God, this is a great time for me to think about what I want to do in life. Where you want me to be, God. And so this person who had emailed me about a month ago said, Dave, you know what? Could you talk to a friend of mine? Like, how did, how did you do that? Because I cannot figure out, like, how you had gone through that just with such peace. And it was, like, amazing to her, right? And, I, and when I thought about it, I said, here's a good opportunity for me to share where that came from. Because the normal pattern of this world way to have dealt with that would have been to just freak out, maybe get super angry, resentful, whatever. But the response was, nah, God's in control. And I'll be patient. I got some time to kind of work through this. You know, God prepared me. We had savings. You know, we could, you know, go through it. And I just prayed a lot. And instead of panic, I truly believe God gave me peace. And I, I told people, I said, look, this is what happened. And, you know, I'm just trying to figure stuff out. And they're like, you're not nervous or what? I'm like, God's going to work it out. God's going to work it out. And he did. And, and what did God bless me with at that time? You know, just about a month or two after that was, was been amazing. Had four job offers. I sat down and the thing that it really um, was amazing about this is that for the first time in my career, I actually sat down with my wife, Tammy, and we jointly made a decision about what of, which of those four offers I was going to take. And we prayed together. And it, made a, it was a principle of ours that we're going to do this as a family. And that, that's for a whole other story of what God did. But then God, I can tell you, God blessed me more than I could ever imagine in this, in this current role I'm in. Because I would tell you that if I didn't pray with Tam and I didn't go through that, that time with Tammy and jointly making this decision, I would have chosen this other job offer, I almost guarantee you. And the people who know me closely were like, yeah, we thought you were there already. It kind of suited me more, so to speak. But where I'm at today is directly, I think, a result of what God was doing in my life and how he changed my life. And that is the principle, I think, of this nurturing enthusiasm and having motivation no matter what, all the storms and stuff that happens in your life. So you have decisions to make. And you're going to make bad decisions. And you're going to go through Daniel's plan and you're going to stumble and you're going to be like, oh, shoot. But then you're going to be with your small group and you're going to encourage each other. And you're going to say, it's okay because with God, no worries. You can do a 180. And God will take you through it. All right? Why don't you stand with me? We're going to, Close up in prayer. I hope that you guys um, join a, a group with the Daniel plan. I do. And if, if you're just kind of like, oh, this, I'm kind of curious about it, just go out there and, you know, flip through the books, the materials, maybe talk to some people there. Uh, come see me after. That, that's cool too. We can talk about it. But this Daniel plan, I think, is more than, you, you know, I hope you don't think of it like, what is this, like a self-help diet thing? No, you know? This is truly our desire that it's going to change your lifestyle, right? As I start, said at the beginning, 
It's a lifestyle program that's based and rooted on biblical principles, right? And we really want to see everyone here truly, not just modified, changed a little bit, but transformed. So you see your life completely transformed, all right? By your heads with me. Heavenly Father, God, you know, man, we, we just thank you so much, Lord, that you love us so much that you brought each of us here this morning. We know it is not an accident for us to be here sitting in this chair and, and standing here now before you, Lord. So we thank you so much for that. And Father God, for these six principles that you shared with us through, through Pastor Rick Warren, the Daniel Plan program, Lord, and mostly through your word in Romans chapter 12, God. I just pray that, you know, that would just seep into our lives. God, that, that the, all these principles that we've learned this morning about dedicating our bodies, God, that it is not ours but yours, that we've we got to cleanse it, Lord. We've we, we just got to care for our bodies, God. We've got to control our bodies. God, that, it, that you would just let that truth seep into our souls, God. God, I, I, I pray for us to also be uh, folks that are concentrating, that, that our minds are renewed, Lord. That we don't conform anymore to the pattern of this world. God, that you would give us the humility and the honesty to, to really evaluate ourselves, to look at ourselves and say, like, what do we got to change? It's not always easy. Give us the boldness, Lord, to also join in a community, a small group of others. Lord, we can learn the principle of cooperation. God, I also pray for everyone here that they would also be a, a people that would go out beyond and just say, I would like to make things better for others. Help me to affirm who they are as, as people that you love and you value. That we can celebrate small wins and we can encourage each other even when we stumble because, hey, we're not perfect, Lord. We know this. And lastly, Lord, that we would have that, that continuous lifetime enthusiasm that no matter what happens in our lives, that we will be motivated to continue on. That, that we know that you win in the end, Lord. We know this. We can, we can have patience through the affliction, God, that happens in life just normal. That we can faithfully go to you in prayer. Because you are our God. You are our Father. We thank you in all these things, all these principles that you've given to us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, God bless you guys. Uh, please check it out, the Daniel plan. I, I really look forward to hearing all the good stuff that's happening in your lives. Uh, and have a great week.